watch a movie, then record themselves talking about the movie. You're listening to Movie Winking. On today's episode, they are Ian Westerford and me, Matthew Durand. I saw the Avengers last night and then I couldn't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was um, so weird. We, Alyssa and I worked out on Wednesday and uh, did like a really hard workout because Memorial Day is always this hero workout and it's intense. So we were training for it. And then, of course, I started to feel like I was getting sick after that, which happens sometimes if I go really hard. And then definitely was sick by the time we went to the movie and then i think some con- some collection of the sickness and the workout like i was so <clears> tired <throat> when we got home from the movie and my mind would not shut down and it was all <laughs> thanos dreams it was all just yeah. like non-stop like destruction dreams and also but also dreams of like well we still have a lot of stuff left and now what <laughs> it was awful it was like those like nothing happens just repeated the same thing over and over uh but i like the movie for the most part yeah um yeah so i um we're just jumping right into talking about the ending here because it's it's the most striking part of the movie for sure definitely so i'm really proud of everyone for not spoiling it for me somehow i know uh, there's some like <laughs> Thanos gauntlet memes going around which I've turned my head away from every time I see him yeah but I was legitimately surprised nobody nobody spoiled it for me yeah it it was to some degree spoiled for me but still effective um just because I think it was it was handled really well and differently than I than I expected but what, what I was gonna say was um I didn't have any any nightmares about it but there was this weird experience where um, the theater that I saw it in, um, you know, because because uh, Solo came out yesterday and yeah. Deadpool 2 was out and stuff. So I think everybody was at one of those. So the theater I was in only had four other people in it, yeah, which same. meant that uh, it kind of felt like just being alone because they were all kind of down way up further up toward the front than me. So... Mm-hmm. At the end, um, when things got all quiet and eerie and horrible, there was no audible audience reaction, um, <laughs> which I think made it spooky in a in a different way than it would have been if I was hearing yeah. people's distress at, at what was going on. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And then I left the movie and like got on a bus home, and there were only two other people on the bus, and it, so there was this this funny thing of feeling like I was leaving it into this kind of like depopulated world, wow. um, and and so it did stick with me in kind of a weird way afterwards. It, it made me kind of pensive in a way that I wasn't expecting. I don't know. I was just in an unusually somber frame of mind for for leaving a. a comic book yeah. movie where people shoot beams at each other and punch each other and stuff something that i noticed a while ago with like going to particularly going to fish shows like there's this you know even though the songs have different tempos and different feels you still walk away from the show with this like 
you're still like moving in a certain way and you still have like the rhythms and like the jams kind of going in your head like all night i don't know yeah. what it is it's something <clears throat> about the brand and something about their sound but like you know, all night after that, you'll be like, <laughs> like you just feel it. And I felt like that's what happened to my brain after this is that the rhythms of like the, all the fast paced editing and stuff. And I thought it was pretty good editing. Like I still preferred civil war as a film and, and the fight choreography and the fight direction. But yeah. this was still a lot, a lot, lot, lot clearer than a Zack Snyder or a Christopher Nolan movie where you just don't know where anything is or what's yeah. happening. Like, yeah, yeah. It was pretty easy to follow most of the fight scenes and stuff, but something about the rapid pace and the length of it being about three hours, which is also how long fish shows are, my brain gets tuned into that rhythm, and then I don't think I could shake it. That was a part of it. It was like lying down. I felt like I was still in this like hyperactive jump cut edit space. <laughs> and yeah. like I wish I had foreseen that. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. I do that. <laughs> so I'm curious to watch it again because when it ended, I thought, oh, that was good. I liked that. And mm -hmm. just just in the time since seeing it and thinking back on it, I admit I'm starting to feel like because it ended so strongly, I'm maybe overrating what my experience was when I was actually watching it. Um, hmm. Because I, I know sometimes with movies, when I see them the first time, um, if it ends strongly, a lot of the, the kind of flaws from earlier will will kind of fade in my mind. But just, just in sort of thinking back on it, there was a good long chunk maybe 45 minutes to an hour or something where I was just kind of like, Oh, this is like a good solid movie. This is, this is really going along nicely and things. Yeah. Um, there was some point, I think it was right around when they went to Wakanda where I, mm -hmm. where I started to get a little bit of this feeling of like, this movie's long kind of like <laughs> in a way that I remember feeling, um, not that I don't want to compare this to a Peter Jackson movie because it's not bloated the way yeah. a lot of those are. But I remember, I think it was the two towers. The first time I saw that yeah. in a theater, like around the time when they're like, they're like rallying together to do the Helms deep thing. And Theoden is mm -hmm. like doing a speech about death and glory. And me just kind of thinking like, Jesus Christ, this is like, this should be like, like, six episodes of a tv show or something like I, it just <laughs> just the pacing it and there was a point around the wakanda thing where i kind of felt like i would maybe prefer this like divided up into like three tv episodes or something and like i had with a, a little bit thought. more of like a like a rise and fall thing where it, it like i don't know i just felt like there was some there was some kind of dragginess in the middle where it just kind of felt like endless introductions and endless kind of like table setting and stuff. Hmm. And I don't know. I just kind of felt a little worn down by that. And I'm not sure when it picked up again, but um, yeah, I don't know. But the other conflicted thing conflicted about that kind of thing, because I yeah. like now that we have so much TV that's like that, <laughs> where it's like super epic TV that will go yeah. on for a total of eight to 10 hours per season. Like, yeah, 
I found myself thinking what you thought at one point where I was like, oh, like if this were a TV show, like I would have stopped by now and I will come <laughs> back to it tomorrow. Yeah. But at the same time, like I also sort of love long movies or I appreciate a long movie. There's sure. something where it's just like I'm getting my money's worth or whatever. And I had just talked to you about how I watched Civil War, I think, two weeks ago for the first time. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. And then you mentioned it being long. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did watch it in two settings. I, I forgot. <laughs> like, I, I watched it for two sittings and it didn't feel so long. It felt like a miniseries that I really enjoyed. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say was, first of all, I should say, I feel like it's kind of a miracle that this movie is watchable just considering how many yeah. characters they have to juggle and, and subplots and things and just yeah just just kind of charting it all out in a way where it feels coherent and not just like a mess totally is, is impressive um but something i was thinking is in a way i think i like a lot of these characters better as kind of like blips in this like crazy overstuffed <laughs> comic book landscape than carrying a movie more because sure. I have to admit like a lot of these characters on their own I think are kind of boring and I, I feel like they work better as kind of like chess pieces in this like in these crazy like Captain America is not very interesting to me um mm-hmm. Black Panther, I feel like, is not super interesting to me. Um, for some reason, you know, I actually... I liked Black Panther more in Civil War than in his own movie. And I can't yeah, even remember why. Interesting. But I, I think there's something about... goal of vengeance and, like... Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, he, he, was, he was out for revenge. But I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of these characters work better kind of shrunk down to, like, ensemble players. Like, Doctor Strange, I feel like, was more fun to watch in this than watching Doctor Strange. Um, I loved Doctor Strange, but I also... Yeah, there's something, and it feels like Joss Whedon didn't really have anything to do with this one, did he? No, not at all, no. But he created the template, I feel like, for distilling characters down to their essences and giving them just the choicest lines and 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 yeah the way that they bump up against each other is way more interesting than like them on their own and i i did like really enjoy that and i find it so interesting that they've managed to surmount those obstacles because for years whenever i saw that they would put like two villains in a batman movie or a spider-man movie i'd be like you have to stop it's overstuffed (laughs) you're never going to give everyone their due so you're not you're not a spider-man 3 fan (laughs) uh, i mean i wanted to be but i was like venom is uh, one of my favorite villains and you're giving him short shrift like he's you're giving him a half hour against sandman and another goblin and it's like I don't know. I'm not sure how they made it all work, but I I really do admire that, like, they made it enjoyable to see all those characters on screen together interacting. Yeah. Which, again, like, I enjoyed that in Civil War, too. I was surprised that it was a Captain America movie, because when I finally watched it, I was like, this is Avengers. Like, this is an Avengers movie. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know. I really enjoy the way that they, like, find the most important parts of them to to bump up against one another and like the way the edges misalign and things like that yeah i'm i'm curious to, i've only seen civil war i saw it when it was in theaters and i i felt 
kind of mixed on it at the time. Um, I think mostly just because it felt to me like it like there was something kind of piecemeal about it. Like it, huh. it felt very. Again, I, I only saw it the one time, but I remember it feeling very much kind of like a bunch of episodes that felt very different from each other. And I, I found certain ones just more involving than others. I don't know. Um, That's so interesting because compared to Infinity War, it feels so cohesive to me, Civil War. It feels like there's one story here, like Bucky has been brainwashed and cap thinks that he's you know he knows what's going on and everyone else distrusts him and like for all the locales it spans and all the time it takes it's like it felt clear whereas infinity war is like kitchen sink and i enjoyed that i was like wow it's crazy how we keep switching all over the galaxy or the universe or whatever and like there's teams in different places but i had a much harder time remembering like okay who's here now like thanos comes back to titan near the end yeah and i was like what happened to peter quill and those guys and then i was like oh no they're here they're they're all here on this (laughs) planet right now yeah i couldn't remember so like civil war that's the one that has that big that big hangar fight um yeah the airport that i remember at the time like i i really enjoyed that i thought it was really fun and felt like my memory of like reading those kinds of comic books um when i was younger but in the context of that movie i remember it feeling kind of stuck on in this way where like like if you look at kind of the overall plot of civil war to me most of it has a very different tone than that part Mm. where it it seems almost like it's kind of like you know it would be really fun and we haven't really done yet i think we could put that in here i feel like that chunk almost to me feels like a dry run for how a lot of infinity war feels but yeah but it does to me kind of feel like this this sort of like detachable nugget that i don't know like i enjoyed it more than most of civil war um but I, I didn't necessarily feel like it really, especially the way Spider-Man is stuck into it to me felt very like I imagine the screenwriters just kind of getting this memo that was like, get Spider-Man in there. Like, <laughs> don't it doesn't have to be perfect. The audience just wants to see like, him. They will forgive you. <laughs> just be like, just was... have somebody go, hey, you know what? There's a Spider-Man. I'll be right back. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Because they didn't have the rights, because Sony had the rights to Spider-Man. Right. It was like, probably, they're about to shoot the scene, and someone gets a call, be like, we got the rights back from Sony! And they're like, oh, sweet! Yeah. Um, or even, like, um, even, the way, even the way Ant-Man, because, I, I, you know, they do a lot of cool things with Ant-Man in that fight, but just the whole way... You know, that he's been so tangential he's to all like this. He's, like, sleeping in and the like, back of a van. Yeah, one of them just kind of calls him up and is like, hey, Ant-Man, want to be in, like, a battle with us? And he's just, uh, okay. Like, I don't I think that's the part of me, that. though, like, where, like, you know. My, my, my most comic readingest time was I was 13 and 14, and so, like, that part of my brain is definitely, like, sweet, man, they've got Ant-Man. Like, you know, I, yeah. I probably... Because I think about that a lot, too. Like, 
how these movies compare to reading comic books and i'm right. generally impressed like i that was the other thing i went on a deep dive to read all about the marvel cinematic universe after civil war and i read about kevin feige being like the guy behind all of it and i was just i was impressed that there's that the this sounds weird, but I suddenly was like, man, this is all done by people. Like these are, these are all just human beings making yeah. these movies. Cause a lot of times when I see a blockbuster movie, it doesn't feel that way at all. It feels yeah. like it was produced in a factory by computers. And I was like, and that Kevin Feige is like behind all of it and making sure things are consistent. And I'm like, I hats off to that nerd. Like he, yeah. he does make it feel like reading comic books did when I was a teenager. And yeah. even even the things that I get annoyed about where sometimes the fight scenes are a little too long or I'm not sure who has what powers exactly. It's like, <laughs> but that's like reading comic books, you know? Yeah. I will shoot things out of their fists and you don't know what it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, something, um, there was, there was this point that this movie reached that, where I, I started thinking of, of like, like Dragon Ball Z and things like that, where, <laughs> where like, yeah. um, everybody, not everybody, but there are enough characters with powers that are so nuts, because, you know, certain movies, some of these movies, like, I don't know which ones you've seen and haven't seen, like, did you see Winter Soldier? No. Okay. No, I didn't see that. that one, my memory of it is that even though it's got all this crazy technology and stuff, it's this attempt to do to see, like, what would a more grounded Marvel movie look like? Like, what would a Marvel movie uh -huh. look like that's mostly about, like, human, like, machinations and, and like, like weird political battles and, and, like, spies and traitors and stuff? And some of it works. Some of it is maybe not super interesting. But... With this movie, I feel like they've finally reached a point where where they're just kind of acknowledging, like, yeah, there's all these people with insane godlike powers, and <laughs> you can't really keep up, and it, we're just gonna kind of throw it at you, like, um, yeah, uh, like <laughs> someone had a line like that. Someone I, was like, oh yeah, the wizards over there fighting the alien robots or something. Yeah, like... I, I think that they there was some kind of tipping point in Black Panther where they're suddenly like, yeah, the Black Panther suit is nanobots that just kind of grow out of a necklace where like, uh -huh. like now Iron Man has this nanobot suit where apparently just any part of his body can turn into whatever pretty much. Yeah. Like, yeah. like they're, it's, it's insane. I don't know. Like, like I feel like it, it wouldn't take much exaggeration from where it is now for Iron Man to just going to be like, I'm going to turn my whole body into a big drill and drill into the ground. Like, like just kind yeah. of these like nutty things that you only have seen in cartoons, really. Which um, now he's also like throwing his table scraps to Spider-Man and Spider-Man's like mini iron. It's like, why does Spider-Man even need to be radioactively or bitten <laughs> by a genetically altered spider? He's got this crazy suit that does shit. Yeah. Or I was wondering, you know, about like Hulk not coming out. And part of me was like, well, if I remember correctly from when I used to actually play the like Marvel role-playing dice game back <laughs> in high school, Hulk is supposed to be like the strongest character in the universe. Like he's actually, you know, on the scale of strength of Marvel heroes, he's like insanely strong. So I was like, yeah. so they can't use him because he would just end it all. But he gets beaten by Thanos in the first scene. And I was like, yeah. oh, whatever. Don't, don't question it too much. <laughs> You don't um, want to like? Do you want to have a good time or not? <laughs> it's just... 
I but, uh, so speaking of the Hulk, this is this is kind of a tangent, but something that something that surprised me about this movie. So I've somehow seen almost all of these these Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Despite I remember around Iron Man three feeling like I'm so fucking sick of these. Um, but yeah. then somehow every new one that came out, I would hear something that would make me think, ah, and that would make me feel like I should catch up on the ones that I missed. Like, yeah, like I remember some at some point watching Thor the Dark World on DVD and being like, I don't really know why I'm doing this, but <laughs> I guess <laughs> I had I'll a similar just thing, going. but I, I didn't realize that X-Men wasn't being handled by Marvel. So oh, I remember yeah. watching some of the crappier X-Men movies <laughs> and being like, oh, I'm done. I don't need any more of these for a long time and not realizing that that was Fox. I yeah. Guess, Although now, now Disney bought Fox. So now they have the X-Men right. and can introduce their own X-Men. Yeah, Speaking I which... thought Deadpool was going to be in this movie. For some reason, <laughs> I thought I had heard somebody say Deadpool was in uh, Infinity War. But that was yeah. incorrect. What was I gonna say um oh yeah so i remember really liking the second x-men movie when it came out and for a mm-hmm. long time i kind of had that in my head as like oh that's my favorite one of these superhero movies even though it was super early like i feel like that's the one that really captures like what i want from these movies um so like a month ago i went back and watched it for the first time in years it's not very good. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't even remember it, which one that is. It um and, and part of it is just that it makes me appreciate. Is that the one with Brian Cox. Um yes, he's in it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It makes me appreciate the visual sense that the Disney Marvel movies have because a lot of of these X Men movies, at least X Men Two, it's very drab. Like the X Men uniforms are just yep. kind of black leather. And, like, the yep. X-Men base is just kind of, like, gray and silver with, like, blue lights here and there. And, like... Because people wouldn't believe it otherwise. Like, I remember this conversation when they showed the previews of, like, the X-Men suits. And I was really disappointed. And my friend at the time, who seemed to think he knew something about something, was just like, yeah, you, you can't put Wolverine in yellow and blue spandex and expect <laughs> to sell tickets. Like, you can't put that on the big screen. And I was like, because there weren't a lot of comic book movies around yet. They kind of started it. Uh, they were before yeah. Spider-Man, right? Like, And then yes, I was like, yeah. but you're wrong, though. And I'm glad that we're finally past that. It's like, yeah. Oh, we want to see people in ridiculous costumes. I don't want the X-Men all in black leather. Yeah, it's Boring. it's nice to have like splashy color and stuff in these. That's actually you haven't you haven't seen Thor Ragnarok. Um no. Which that one I actually feel like that of all of them to me feels like they actually went back and looked at like old Jack Kirby comics and stuff and like the color palettes cool. in them. It feels like they're like having fun playing around with color and trying cool. to evoke these weird like techno landscapes um, from cool. old comics. Um, oh, what I was starting to say was um, so as much as I feel like some of the kind of more boring to me characters are better served, like as much as some of those characters I feel like work better in this setting, some of the characters and performances that I've liked more in the other movies felt kind of off to me in this one. And I don't know if that's maybe having different writers handle them that didn't quite know what to do with them. 
And there might be more, but the, the two that come to mind off the top of my head, um, one of them is Drax. Um, no! Because, I was going to say, I love Drax so much in this movie. Oh, he was see, cracking me up. I, he was... <laughs> it was... I think it's just that I had this specific idea of him from the other ones, where I, for the Guardians movies, where I thought he was really funny, but... And again, this you could say this is totally nitpicky or whatever, but like there's there's kind of that gag with him where he he's, he talks about how he's 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 invisible. Um, yeah. He's been standing still for an hour and he thinks he's invisible, which was funny. But I kind of felt like, is he really the kind of character that does stuff like this, where he's just kind of like, where he seems kind of insane in that way, like <laughs> like it was cute, but it also kind of felt to me like it was written by someone who wasn't really that concerned with like like what the drax humor was about or something i don't know whatever but the other thing was and this was this kind of stuck out to me more but he wasn't in it enough that it really made a big deal to me i usually really like mark ruffalo and i felt like he seemed kind of lost in this somehow totally like like something about his acting style which is actually true in um in Thor Ragnarok too, although in that he spends pretty much his whole appearance. Spoiler: Mark Ruffalo's in Thor Ragnarok, but I won't tell uh-huh. you how he gets it. Although if you've seen any of the trailers, you might know already. I but, had to assume that because he's with them at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, Hulk's yeah. there. Yeah. If you haven't seen trailers for Thor Ragnarok, um, it's it's fun how how that gets how the Hulk gets tied into all that. Um, cool i actually do i want to see it even more now because there's like this big mystery last i left off of where is hulk and now (laughs) he's back and i'm like oh i missed i didn't figure that part out but um he spends pretty much all of thor ragnarok being disoriented and confused and trying to get caught up on things um Mm -hmm. and yeah like i really like him but just his acting style he kind of feels like he's in a different movie than everybody else and it felt for, that way in infinity war for sure yeah and it, it's so weird he definitely seemed like he was out of place yeah like and it for some reason it was more jarring to me in this one um i think joss whedon knows how to write for mark ruffalo better maybe or something yeah because he maybe. he seemed to me much stronger in in those avengers movies um even in, in Thor Ragnarok, he's he's fun, but pretty much everything in Thor Ragnarok is going for fun for the most part. Um, I've also felt bad for all the Hulk actors because they just seem so disconnected from the Hulk. Like I don't know <laughs> if they put Mark Ruffalo in a mocap suit and let I him like bash did. stuff. Yeah, they definitely didn't for Eric Bana, and maybe they did for Edward Norton, but like it just it seems like the least gratifying of the roles of the superheroes. (laughs) Like even Robert Downey, like, you know, a lot of times the Iron Man mask comes off. So he's in his Iron Man suit doing Iron Man stuff. But like whenever it's the Hulk on screen, the actor who played him is gone. I don't know. Like that, the, I remember watching the Edward Norton Hulk and just being so uninvolved in the big climactic battle. Cause it's just two CGI beasts <laughs> going at it. And I'm like, there's no people, there's no humans. 
I demand representation in movies. Something that you'll probably like then about about Ragnarok. Again, this is this is turning into a Matt selling Ian on Ragnarok, even though he's already. I can't sold wait. I'm sold. But sir. um, apparently, kind of a lot of the dialogue in Ragnarok is on set improvisations basically yeah and that i love includes, that about the first iron man um that includes mocap mark ruffalo improvising hulk stuff because hulk is cool. more talkative in ragnarok i feel like that's like i don't i don't own any of these movies um because i i mean i don't know how you feel about most of the ones you've seen but there aren't many that I would say I feel really like pro on as a whole. Um, huh. Like, I feel like they're all, or for the most part, they they hit like some baseline of like competent, watchable, like slickly made kind of. Um, uh, but um, the only ones that I've felt really like I could imagine myself wanting to go back to often are the funnier ones. Um, yeah. Like, like Spider-Man Homecoming. I actually, that's so funny. Cause I feel like of all of them, I, I want to go back and rewatch. Well, I did watch Iron Man a couple of times. I thought that movie was really rewarding. The first Iron Man. And then, um, I didn't see any of the other Iron Mans, and then I do kind of want to go back and rewatch the first Avengers movie just because I don't remember a lot of like how it all started and where yeah. it all began. And well, then I really enjoyed Civil War. Like I, I feel like I would watch that again if my time were not valuable <laughs> and it's yeah. so long. It's just like I would, I, I enjoyed it enough to like I enjoyed the filmmaking. I enjoyed the craft of like how they shot that airport and hangar scene i'm just like man that's a, so much work and it's <laughs> it's so deftly handled like i would like to re yeah. revisit that but I'm, i don't know i don't own it I i'm curious what you would sit. what you would make of the various ones you haven't seen um I my memory of of it I remember Iron Man 2 being like the low point of the whole thing like <laughs> that one to right. me felt like we got to crank out another Iron Man movie I think the only thing that 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 comes out of it of any consequence is they introduce um Scarlett Johansson's character but oh Okay. I don't even remember her really. It's just kind of like, here's this person, and she can fight. Like, I feel like it isn't really until Avengers that they seem actually interested in her as a character. Yeah. But, yeah, Iron Man 2, I remember just kind of feeling like no one really figured out what the compelling hook was. Um, yeah. Iron Man 3, I liked at the time, and then I saw it again, and it felt more kind of like this kind of weird unwieldy mess with some interesting ideas mm. in it um something... i saw a lot of that with no sound on when we were in jamaica there was a band <laughs> a reggae band on the beach and they were great and next to the band they were showing iron man 3 on a giant screen with no sound <laughs> and i kept trying not to look at it but i couldn't help it it's a big screen so i was like oh a lot of stuff's happening but i'm listening to reggae i wonder if that improves it the Iron Man cool. 3 reggae mix. Um, uh, I was reading somewhere. Um, I forget how I found it. It was some Wikipedia rabbit hole kind of thing. 
but there was a shift that happened at some point like halfway through with the marvel movies um where there's this guy ike perlmutter who i only remember because i think ike perlmutter is kind of a wacky name who i think was in charge of like whatever division of marvel or something like basically that had to do with like toys and tie-in products and like games and merchandising yeah tie-in stuff okay um and apparently for a while with these movies he had much more of a say in creative decisions like there was this thing that uh that i I stumbled onto somehow about how there's this female character in iron man 3 who seems like she's gonna play kind of a big part in things and then like two-thirds of the way through the movie spoiler she she just kind of uh the the villain shoots her she's just dead she just disappears and makes the character (laughs) feel kind of pointless and apparently it's this crazy thing where like after they started shooting the movie at some point um this dude ike perlmutter was basically like basically in the script she was going to be the main villain and at some point the action figure dude was like no we don't want a girl villain action figure. That's not going to sell. Change it. Make the guy villain the main villain. And just do what, what you... Like, Like oh it was God. just this dictate for, like, to sell toys. Um, so they were like, uh, <laughs> we could just have her die, I guess. But apparently that guy is out of the picture now in terms of, like, the actual... Like, I think Kevin Feige... Feige... Feige I, don't even I think it. it's Feige or Feige. Feige, yeah. Feige um, yeah. is is pretty much got like full control over all this stuff now, and um, that's good. Well, I got some notes for him. He's got us <laughs> everyone for him and everyone in the world. There's there's no need to ever make Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch do an American accent again, and <laughs> there's no need to ever make Peter Dinklage do a British accent again. We have to stop. He's doing the Tyrion accent again. I know it's exactly that which is I told you I don't watch that show so I'd forgotten what it sounded like and then watching this I'm like ah it's that weird thing dude it's so strange kind of it's so strange and the the thing is I've got nothing against Peter Dinklage as an actor it's just no he's a pretty damn good actor that's the that's the accent that I don't even know what it seems like this weird amalgam I don't of different know what things. It is either. Um as long as we're talking Have about you, we talked about tiptoes too, right? You haven't seen tiptoes. I haven't seen tiptoes. <laughs> where he does a French accent and it's just that's not his strong point. The accents need to go. No. And Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent is surprisingly awkward in his mouth, and it's also just like why did they have to make Stephen Strange American? It's not important. <laughs> it's not. He could easily have been from London. There's no reason he had to be from New York. They they changed other things in the comics. You know, I read a thing where the creator of Mantis was pretty pissed about how she came off in Guardians 2. He's like, it's not my character. They just slapped the name Mantis on someone with a totally different origin story. And it's like, well, that's the creative liberties they take. There's no need to make Stephen Strange American. I have a dumb nitpick, which doesn't actually bother me, but I feel like I I'm gonna mention it. Um, yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a question. Maybe there's 
a reason for it that I don't understand. I get that it's like this wacky comic book world. I don't understand why the Infinity Stones are called Infinity Stones. <laughs> like it seems it, because they, it seems like they're like these magical objects that like people who are tied to like the history of the universe have known about. But it's so obviously a name that's like this is a cool, meaningless comic book name. There's nothing really about the concept of infinity that I, I feel silly even bringing this up. It's just no, it's funny. It's just kind of it's, a goofy thing to call them. Um, it definitely sounds like an, a name that was come up with prior to the actual like. Okay, so what are they? What do they do? It's yeah. Like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah, I just imagine like like some writer or something, just like doodling and like doing like infinity gauntlet and, and just kind of like working backwards from there. Like, yeah, definitely. Um, I did have a couple of issues about the movie that I did want to hit in this conversation oh, sure. without like pre-planning too much of it, and one of them was I I really enjoyed how much time they spent on the character of Thanos. Like they really yeah. seem to care about this character and this villain and Josh Brolin's performance is really good. And I was glad that they openly acknowledged that his chin looks like a gross nutsack, <laughs> but the, the relationship between him and Gamora, which they clearly wanted to really matter, like did not affect me. And I wonder, I wonder why I wonder how it could have been more affecting. I just found it forced didn't work yeah i i felt like the actors did their best <laughs> like mm -hmm. i i feel yeah. like um what to whatever extent i was emotionally involved in it it had entirely to do with the acting and definitely not the writing of, of any of that i felt they took way too much time particularly <clears throat> when they're on the cliff and he's contemplating the soul gem like because we're way ahead of them at that point like the audience we we know immediately what's going to happen yeah and so it a it makes gamora look a little bit like clueless that she doesn't and b it's like well since we're so far ahead it would be way more affecting if like if he just grabbed her and threw her or something without all this talking and contemplation and the the red skull guy being like he is not crying for himself or whatever it's like yeah we know we know that we're five steps ahead like and i think it also ties in a little bit to my other big issue which is i hate the music i hate the music of so many movies and i hate the composers of so many movies alan silvestri yeah. composed it and a lot i i basically hate hans zimmer uh, <laughs> you don't like that <laughs> of, uh... during the closing credits Alyssa and I were just singing like sad you're supposed to be sad did you forget to be sad and also it's loud 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 like the end credits were the loudest part of the whole movie Oh, and I felt like <clears throat> it's just so obvious and you and I have talked in the past about you know what people mean when they say oh it was manipulative it's like well all art is manipulative but you when you notice it that's when it's bad when you feel like you're being manipulated and i also today while like shopping thought about the ending and how much more i mean i gotta give them credit for, for going there at all in a blockbuster movie but yeah part of me i imagine the whole ending with 
Comsuser Todd from End of Ava playing over it instead. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that would be so much better. Like, that's his triumph. Like, it'd be even more messed up if there was, like, some sort of, like, victory music playing over all of it instead of, you know, oh, it's so bad and it's so sad. Like, I don't know. Okay, so thought. this is interesting because <laughs> I, I actually had a very different reaction to that music. Um, okay. First off, I, I should say, um, I've noticed, we've talked about this before, I think, but um, when I'm affected by things in movies, I feel like a lot of the time it has to do with um, my defenses being down in some way. Like, things veering sure. in a direction where... Um, it doesn't feel like what I felt like I was being primed to expect. Part of the reason why I feel like I can't get into shows like I couldn't get into Mad Men, I couldn't get into Game of Thrones is because they feel like monolithic to me in terms of like their their range somehow. Like I feel like there's kind okay. of this feeling of like you know what you're getting. And, like, I feel like everything just has such a weight to it. I mean, this is more talking about Mad Men, but, like, yeah. like there's this particular kind of weight to things where I, I feel like I get, I get kind of numb by the time it actually gets to the point where I'm supposed to feel this kind of, like, more heightened emotion. Whereas something like, I'm not, like, the world's biggest Joss Whedon fan, but like I watched all seven seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I, I thought some of it was was pretty affecting. And I think part of it is yeah. because it's a show with a sense of humor, and it's a show that's that's kind of willing to be light sometimes. And I I, I feel like that kind of gives the heavier stuff a different impact, or like something like sure. you know, I love Steven Universe, and part of I think what's so great about Steven Universe is that it does veer back and forth so much between the, these, like, I, I feel like it just creates a different sense of stakes when you know that, like, these people are sometimes really happy, you know? Like, nobody's yeah. fucking happy on Mad Men. Like, even if things go yeah. well, how well are they really going to go? Like, um... <laughs> So anyway, this is a long roundabout way of saying what I really liked about the end of Infinity War, um, and I think why I walked out of it thinking like, oh, I liked that. That was better than I thought. But now I feel kind of like maybe I'm overrating it, is nothing in any of the other Marvel movies, like as as basically like competent as they all are. I haven't really felt surprised very often watching them. I, I feel like they exist within a certain range. And like, and I think that's maybe why I like the funnier ones more is because that's the thing about humor is it's based on surprise. So even if the movie yeah. as a whole is predictable, if it can make you laugh, it is on some level surprising you. But, um... Like I, you know that the old the the old Eric Bana and Nick Nolte Hulk movie, like as much of a mess <laughs> as it is, like that crazy shit with Nick Nolte at the end where he's like ranting about shit and like biting down on a cable and electrocuting himself, like that's weird. Like I remember yeah. watching it for the first time and being like, "Wow, they made this movie," um, 
And I feel like the first time I've really had that reaction strongly to one of these movies is the whole long sequence of, of everybody turning to dust at the end because yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like any of the other movies. And like, that's true. Like I, I knew something it's like that tonal was shift coming, sure. but the tone of it, it has this just kind of, you know, you haven't really seen this movie where like, like it really feels like they were trying to evoke, like we lost, like it just feels yeah. sad and sick. Like, and um yeah. it's it's and just quiet. disbelief too like, like no one's yeah like no the, one has anything to say the the like the it's so muted like even even um uh peter parker like like having you know his his like sad panicky death freak out like it's not like operatic or anything like it's just this very quiet yeah. like and there, there's kind of this like low kind of like sickly sounding music under it like i would have expected that part to be scored much more aggressively but like just the the vibe of it and i remember i mean maybe i'm remembering wrong but i remember th even the camera movements kind of had this sort of like floaty like kind of slightly like seasick thing happening to them yeah there was an eeriness for sure yeah and and i i just really I, I was I really responded to that feeling, and then yeah, um, I will say I don't remember I don't remember being angry at the music at that point. But um, it was definitely during the Gamora scene on the Soul Planet and during the credits were the see, two times where I was like, "Come on!" I I liked the credits music actually, and I think <laughs> I think a lot of it is because it had a different mood than i've i've heard in music in any of these movies before like to me it didn't it didn't just kind of feel like this you're so sad like it, it had this <laughs> weird feeling of kind of like after the end we lost like it, it felt to me like just a different note than you expect a movie like this to go out on especially just because i imagine i, I mean how are kids reacting to this movie <laughs> <laughs> like little kids who don't understand that like no don't worry spider-man's too expensive to be permanently dead like they'll find a way yeah to bring that's that. intense like i know it's weird traumatic. it I mean, made me think made me wonder if that was if it was released in the spring because it like you can't make a big summer blockbuster that <laughs> ends that way but, but um, it's interesting. I actually, this is one of the, I hadn't really thought much about, you know, our listeners or whatever, but at this is at this point, I'm kind of like, well, listeners, what do you say? You know, I want to know what people think about, about that, that music during the credits specifically. Yeah. It's, but yeah, I actually, I, I was, I was fine with that music. I felt like it, it did what it was going for. I also thought that there was, um, there was music during the flashback to the massacre on Gamora's planet. Yeah. That was also just like, to me, the sound of like human anguish and massive like gunfire or whatever is going on. I was like, that's way more atmospheric and terrifying. Like the music that's going on on top of it while Thanos is talking to young Gamora. I'm like, no no like this could be far more eerie like you're wasting mood points on <laughs> <laughs> on a score right now that doesn't need to be there i feel like uh, most movies 
would probably benefit in some way from having some of the music paired back. That's like totally. a total crazy generalization to make. Like, no, but, that's um, true. I don't I remember know. listening to um, Peter Jackson talking about um, getting his crew together for Lord of the Rings and how he had like you know all these people hand picked out. He knew he wanted this guy. He knew he needed this guy and all this stuff. And then he's like, and when I got to music, I was just like. I don't know anything about music. I, I don't know what to do. And I would not be surprised if that's a common thing among filmmakers. I think a lot of filmmakers are naturally visual. Yeah. And I would imagine that they don't necessarily have the sharpest instincts about music as they do about rhythm and visuals. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Because I, I see it a lot. You know, I'm blaming the composers, but I should be blaming directors. There's a lot of movies where I'm just like... And TV shows. There's so much <laughs> visual media where yeah. I'm like, cool it, cool it with the music. Like, I've heard that it's a very common practice these days for um, movie scenes to get edited to a piece of music from another movie. And then for the composer to basically be told to like, oh my god, like do something that sounds a lot like this, but isn't this, and we'll just kind of like stick it in because like this is what we want. Um, I can imagine that, but I know that like some of the songwriting tools that I'll use is like to cop a beat from another song or even just a tempo. Yeah, and be like, all right, work over that, you know, um, framework to to get somewhere different. That's weird. Do you know um the story of the the music in two thousand one? How that how that yeah. came to be? Yeah, that's that crazy. Was fantastic. To me. I've heard um some of the music that was written for two thousand one that was rejected. Mm -hmm. It's not good. <laughs> no, it it wouldn't. Well, a lot of it wouldn't have. Uh, I don't know if it wouldn't have worked, but it wouldn't have worked nearly as well. Um, I've noticed that lots and lots of my favorite uses of music in movies is people using music that was already made like Wes Anderson, Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, a lot of well at least Boogie Nights. Like using songs that you know for effect as opposed to, you know, having um a, someone write a, an entire score. And that's not always, but I just know that there are examples there of like Rushmore Royal Tenenbaums, Goodfellas, these movies where I'm like, I really like the use of music that I already know to like <laughs> create tension or yeah. yeah. But oh, whoa, shit! Oh, I had had one other idea, which is a little bit like <laughs> a little bit like your qualm with the just name of the Infinity Gems <laughs> or whatever. Where and I, I kind of couldn't let it go except I chose to. I'm just like so. Thanos's plan, you know, it's a pretty. I get it. I get it. All right. Yeah. But once you have the glove that makes you all powerful, couldn't you just double the amount of resources out there for everyone? Like you, <laughs> you only destroyed because you had to destroy. But as soon as you're granted, you know, godlike powers, you don't have to destroy anymore. Right. You can make stuff. Or like, couldn't you make it so that just people don't need those resources you know just change yeah. it so like yeah. oh nobody needs food anymore or something yeah yeah i mean i feel like if, <laughs> if i were being generous with it 
I could try to read into it this thing where, you know, because Thanos is crazy. And yeah, you could sort of read into that. this thing where it's like <laughs> deep down Thanos wants to commit mass murder on this like unimaginable right. scale that that like right. his his whole philosophy of balance is driven by this like lust to kill like to just face. be this god of death um but as it's actually presented in the movie it, it, it kind of feels again it kind of reminds me of the we got to put spider-man in this movie thing it's it's like this because the, the the idea of him snapping his fingers and killing half the universe comes you know from the comics and yeah. in the comics apparently his motivation is much sillier and like <laughs> like um one of my friends was telling me about this the other day that in the comics apparently it's this thing where it becomes apparent that there are these characters who are like personifications of various abstract qualities like eternity and justice and stuff like that. The celestials, and right? I think. I don't know if that, but so anyway, there's this like sexy lady who is death personified and mm -hmm. Thanos is in love with her. So he wants okay. to kill half the universe to impress her. Whoa. So she'll right, love him back. Uh, how that works out for him, I don't know. I'm guessing it doesn't work. But um, <laughs> I think they were like, we can't have death personified in this movie. What else would work? And and it, it kind of feels to me like, yeah, this will do. But like, I never really like found it super compelling or tragic. But um, at yeah. the same time the the villains that have been in the marvel movies so far are such a generally like kind of weak crop that he still stands out to me as one of the better ones definitely <laughs> like definitely. Um, it's almost i'm almost being annoying with my desire to be like well could you like just like show him being a little more insane because <laughs> like because like, i kept like having this reasoning in my head where it's like well wait man you like you have the reality stone like you you just showed us what titan used to look like you could just bring it back just make it real again <laughs> but then that's me not thinking like oh right but he's insane like he's totally nuts <laughs> yeah but I am I'm curious to see the next one. Um, yeah, I, I'm I want to watch this one again already. I think, although I I do want to catch up on all the other movies too. Yeah, I feel like most of them at least have something interesting in them. <laughs> in them. I saw the second Guardians of the Galaxy, which was on one of the free or you know Netflix services or something and uh yeah. it's funny I liked it better than the first movie and I yeah. I also find it really interesting I was saying to Alyssa that like you know Guardians of the Galaxy is supposed to be like kind of like the wacky stepchild you know the like sort of out yeah. there weird quirky funny and it's like how that tone doesn't doesn't seem out of place at all in an Avengers movie like they they've all gotten enough of a sense of humor yeah basically since the first iron man that it's like oh it, it works uh, the guardians of the galaxy just seems like a little more ragtag maybe and uh and it did seem a little more silly because they're out in space but now you've got gods and wizards and yeah. spacemen and superheroes like there... which is an accurate representation of marvel i guess i feel like point. the the guardians movies to me 
they're fun in places, but I, I feel like they do get a little too, like, cutesy for me <laughs> sometimes. I didn't like the first one, and um, I generally don't like Rocket. I hate him, but he was actually enjoyable in Infinity War. Yeah. But in the... I just don't like the voice that Bradley Cooper does. It sounds <laughs> so close to like Mo from The Simpsons or something that I'm just like, oh, now I just do wish something he sounded original. exactly like Mo. Um, <laughs> there, there's a it point. Just sounds like ripping someone else off the whole time. Like there, there's a point in um, Guardians Two when Star Lord has like his celestial powers activated or something, and he, he's fighting Kurt mm-hmm. Russell. And he, like, makes this giant Pac-Man that makes, like, Pac-Man noises yeah. or something. And yeah. I kind of felt like, geez, like, whatever. But it, it feels almost too much like he might as well, like, look at the camera and wink or something. Like, it feels so obviously <laughs> like he's doing this to make the audience laugh. Like, that it just felt a little too, like, too cute, I guess. Um, hmm. Or something. Or some of the Groot stuff, like the thing with like baby Groot dancing the Jackson five or something, it feels a little like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just a party pooper, but, um, well, that was the one where, yeah, baby Groot's dancing at the end of the first guardians of the galaxy. And I remember people's reaction to it just being like, they were so enamored of that and they thought it was so adorable. And I was like, Whoa. Okay, this is just like a CGI thing. And then in the second movie, I thought he was pretty cute, like toddling around. But yeah, <sighs> what was I about to say? Uh, oh, there is a thing that I was noticing in Infinity War where it felt to me like it was getting to be, and I mean maybe it's been this way in all of them, but the the whole kind of shtick of like almost every dramatic moment has to be kind of undercut with this kind of like self-deprecating gag kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Some of that is funny and some of it just kind of feel felt like either like they're kind of doing it on autopilot because that's what they always do or that it's actually kind of actively hurting certain scenes. Yeah. Um, like even though I'm not like invested emotionally in the whole like Star-Lord Gamora romance thing to have their whole scene where he she makes him promise to kill her if it comes to it that yeah. then turns into like this Drax joke <laughs> to me like I felt like that scene could have just ended as a dramatic scene like that didn't need to and I feel like the Drax joke is as long as the dramatic part of the scene <laughs> like that's it, funny it's I and whatever it. but I, yeah. I I just feel like it becomes again it's like the predictability thing like it starts to feel like you know it's gonna it's coming um yeah although i had an inverse reaction because that dramatic conversation where she's like if thanos gets me you gotta promise to kill me i was just like once again you've just telegraphed me so far ahead i'm like (laughs) obviously that's going to happen it happened much sooner than i expected i was like and it happens in like the next scene I was just like, so I was so over that conversation and and not invested <laughs> in it that when the Drax thing happened, I was like, oh, it's Drax. <laughs> yeah. So it is. This, but the same thing where it's like, yeah, the tonal shift might. I know what you're saying. There, there was another moment later on where like something intense happened and there was like such a quick 
like literally a thrown away joke that someone might not have heard if the rest of the audience was like making noise or something. And I was like, Oh, I don't know that that was necessary. Yeah. I, it, remember when that I think maybe it, part of it is that it starts to feel a little bit like this ass covering kind of thing. Like they kind of want to have it yeah. both ways. Like, like, uh, <laughs> like here's this cliched dramatic scene. I love you. They love each other. <laughs> but you know, whatever. Or like, um, I have been party to that so many times in, in theater productions in Chicago where like there's so sometimes the director or the company is so afraid of yeah. a moment that got a little too heavy or a little too deep or the audience was quiet that like they immediately try and yeah, cover their ass with yeah. like, something that'll get a reaction. Anything. Oh, it's an audible reaction. It's just a little thing, but the uh, the whole thing with with Thor's axe, where they go like it's Stormbreaker, and then immediately it's like ah, it's a bit much, you know. That that's what it's yeah, called. like. Yeah. There's kind of like obviously they call it that in the movie because they think that's a cool thing to call it, but they're kind of like. Yeah. But for the people yeah. who think it's silly, we do too. But we don't. But we do. Like like. We're <laughs> that's Disney. why Rocket's an asshole. We're Disney Marvel. We're all things to all people. Except at the end when we when we're, we kill off all of your favorite characters and make your children cry. Um, sit with that. Yeah, that's intense. I was thinking about something. Oh, oh yeah, and that ending. I you know talking earlier about how like I, I enjoy the way that you know I would imagine that most people who aren't really familiar with comics mm -hmm. would think of superheroes when they think of comics think of costumed crusaders and stuff and how yeah. when you get deeper into marvel how it's like oh there's wizardry there's aliens there's space stuff there's even some like intense you know weird like divinity things that go back to the beginning of time and all that and the other thing that a lot of people who don't follow comic books know about is the repeated continuity problems that arise when you have a bunch of different books and things and i'm kind of excited by the possibility that that's what's about to happen that like the next avengers movie if if i had to guess would be like there's another reality where the other half of the avengers got evaporated and spider-man's still alive and uh, still alive and that and they have somehow they're going to have to somehow. bring the multiverses together or something like that and it's like maybe they won't go there but my first thought is like they're going to address the multiverse issue which has you know solved yeah. so many problems in continuity over the years at marvel which i again i would like applaud them i'm like that's really cool that you're going to bring these comic book things into the movies yeah hopefully that'll happen and it's like even the quibbles that i have it's also kind of like it's effectively comic booky enough that i feel like it's sort of impervious to that it's like what are you <clears throat> gonna say like you know it's it's a comic book movie yeah and i'm very very proud of everyone involved who allowed it to be released with such a dramatic and downer ending like they went full <laughs> It's even, I guess people talk about Empire Strikes Back as that, you know, being like, holy shit, it's a, it ends on such a negative note, but this goes one better. There's like no hope at the end. Yeah, Empire Strikes <laughs> Back just... ends on like, you know, they're kind of regrouping and stuff. But yeah, this, this yeah. is really just ending at this point of like total loss and defeat, um, Yeah, which was pretty neat. What was I going to...
Uh, oh, I was thinking after the end of the movie, um, uh, part of me thought like, what if something happened where there was some crazy financial situation where like Disney slash Marvel like went under and stopped making these <laughs> movies and this ended up being the last released marvel movie and like this was the that... note it ended on oh my god um yeah i i liked it but i somehow suspect i will not like it when i see it again um <laughs> because I, i'll i'll become more aware that i was that it was colored by how much i liked the ending that's an interesting thing too it's like oh yeah that's i i've oh, what was it there was a movie oh it was the return of the king when i saw return of the king in theaters it was everything i wanted it was everything i needed i was so moved and i was like i don't ever want to see that again because <laughs> it will never work as well again as it did you know it was like the culmination of several years of movie watching it hit at just the right time and i was like it'll never be the same again if i ever watch did it. you ever watch it again not the whole thing. My mom, my mom bought it for me on DVD and for Christmas because she knew how much I enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, so I didn't tell her. I wasn't like, oh, mom, no. But um, I was living with Pat at the time. And like, so he would just put it on and it had like the extended cut. So I think I got like 20 minutes into the extended cut where they have like the drinking competition between Legolas and Gimli. And it's so... <laughs> poo pants preschool garbage that i was just oh, like God. so embarrassing Man. it felt like it made me think peter jackson's never been drunk i was like <laughs> you're, you're making this look like what a five-year-old thinks drunk people are like like i don't know we, so I feel like you and I could easily could easily do like multiple podcast episodes just about profound movie experiences with movies that we really shouldn't have rewatched and then maybe right. made the mistake of rewatching. <laughs> like Yeah, that's true. AKA the Donnie Darko podcast. <gasps> Somebody just posted about that on Instagram the other day. A friend <laughs> of mine who is not in any way part of your friend circle that crosses my friend circle but it was like they yeah. just posted a picture and they were like i'm 29 years old and i'm realizing that donnie darko is not a good movie <laughs> like, uh, uh, i was already old when i saw it I, i'm not i was never under any illusion that it was good yeah watching donnie darko in a nearly empty theater shortly after 9-11 um was really wow. something watching donnie darko wow. anytime subsequently was substantially less of a thing man um but uh, yeah again that's a whole other topic um i have to go outside and assemble some patio furniture soon <laughs> okay i just bought a bunch of patio furniture uh but uh, let's do it again, and maybe I'll be able to start the podcast earlier. I'm sorry, I'm such a nightman. Oh no, no, that's cool. This works. I, for some reason, I feel like I want to talk about Barry Lyndon someday, but I it's been ten years since <coughs> I saw it, and I don't know how much I want to sit through it again. But there's I, some part of me that does for some reason. I remember really liking it, but I have this problem where from our last conversation about it now i can't think of it without just imagining you imitating ryan o'neill going lose the leg <laughs> like lose the leg that, oh, that's man. what that movie's boiled down to for me now yeah is you mocking that line um I'm sorry that's okay 
I can still get a laugh out of Alyssa with that sometimes if it's time just right. <laughs> but yeah, that movie was the, like the longest, most boring movie that I still enjoyed, that I still like took something away from and was actually a little bit moved to. So oh, sure. I'll watch it again for the future. We can yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll let you go build furniture in the dark. Thanks. I can't wait. There will be ants, too. I hope there's no light source. You're just in total blackness <laughs> trying to assemble furniture you can't see. And I'd be like, honey, you could assemble it inside and take it outside. And be like, shut up. <laughs> this is how it's done. <laughs>